0: Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. All right, well, the kids can go as soon as the ushers are done there. And uh, I'm kind of excited. This is it. We made it all the way through the book of Acts. Uh, we started. I had to look back, and if uh, if I was right in what I was looking at, we started November of 2017, and we've had a couple of uh, you know side trails here and there, but overall, that's when we started. I think this is the biggest uh, chunk of scripture we've ever tried to take a look at as a church. In fact, I was thinking about it this morning. It's it's interesting. I don't know what to do with this, but uh, when I think about like in my own head, when I think about going through a book of the Bible, I, I never in my head go. Like, in my own mind, I never go, man, I made it through this. I always think we. Um, we made it through this. And it's because even though I'm the one up here talking, I, I really look at what we do when we go through the scriptures like this as a, a we sort of endeavor. Uh, the, the little role that I'm playing is the one that's up here doing the talking, but we're all studying this together. And so I always get excited when we finish something. I feel like we, we accomplished something, and so we, we did. We made it through. Uh, In Acts 28 is where we're going to be, and the first few verses um, pick up where it left off last time, which uh, we just had the question a minute ago. What island did they shipwreck on? Yeah, Malta, right? You should have got that. We just had it a second ago, right? Malta. Um, once they get there, they're cared for by the residents, and there's some interesting stories I'm going to take a look at Wednesday night. Um, but uh, in fact, uh, in this story, Paul gets bit by a poisonous snake and survives, and there's a whole little thing that goes on with that. Uh, but we're going to pick up after that particular part of the story into the, just the end of Acts. So we're going to take a look at starting off with verse 11. So they've been on Malta, and it says this. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria, with the twin gods as a figurehead. They're on Malta for three months, and they get on this big ship uh, from Alexandria. And it says, putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Patoli. So we need a map here, I think. So here's Paul's missionary journey. Well, I'm going to zoom in on that particular section right there. And so let's get a little bit of a close-up on that. And so if you're looking right there, you can see uh, Malta, a little tiny island. They made it to Syracuse, Regium, and then they caught a wind up to Patoli, right? So they're getting really close to Rome. It says, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we, in fact, this next sentence here, if you've been with us, as we've gone through the book of Acts, and especially the last several times, Paul's been headed to Rome. And this morning when I was reviewing this, I, I was reading along, and I got to the sentence, and I just I paused at the end of this because I thought, wow, they, they got there. Can you imagine how they felt? And so we came to Rome, finally, after all they've been through. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius in three taverns. There's a place called Three Taverns. think that's Westville, uh, to meet us, uh, on seeing them. Um, And uh, Paul thanked God and took courage. So there you can see it's actually just a town called Three Taverns. And so people were traveling up to see him. So he's a bit of a celebrity at this point, at least in the eyes of the Christians. So they're there. They're in Rome. When we came into Rome, the, the city proper, so they, they made it to the outlying regions. And so when it says, and we came into Rome, they got into the middle there. Uh, Paul, was fo- Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier who guarded him. So not even a centurion this time, indicating that Paul is not considered dangerous. It's going to be a rented home. He's just basically under what we would think of as house arrest. Um, and next, Paul's going to do something we've seen several times before, Um, he gets together with the Jews of the area. And it says this, After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So he's telling them, these Jews that are here, how he got there. And this is so typical. If you've been with us, once again, from the beginning, this is what Paul's done almost every time he's gone to a new city. Find the Jews that are there. Find that common ground. Build from this Old Testament idea and this Old Testament idea of who the Messiah is. And so he knows that the foundation is going to be there. And he knows, and we know because we've read it from him so many times, he loves his people. He wants to see them turn to Christ. So he's telling them, I, this is how I got here. I wonder... Does he think that they would be more willing to listen, seeing as they're so far away from Jerusalem? I wonder if he's hoping for that. Um, here he's going to relay a portion of what has happened to him. He says, when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty. Talking about the Romans, that were the Roman uh, officials that were down in Jerusalem in that area. Uh, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. So basically, I'm not actually guilty of anything. Will this connect him to them? It wasn't that long ago the Jews themselves were evicted from Rome. You may remember this with Priscilla and Aquila. They were evicted from Rome. And so these Jews that have now meandered back into Rome, he wonders if there's going to be a strong connection here with them, them experiencing some injustices, him experiencing some injustices. I wonder if he's trying to connect, right? He next years how he got here exactly. He says, but because the Jews objected that were down there, right? Because those Jews objected, I was compelled. To appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring um, against my nation. So this is why I'm here, but there's a deeper reason. Not that I was compelled for freedom's sake. If you remember, he could have been set free. I think who is compelling him, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar because even though he was going to be set free, he knew, I'd rather have the, I think, a free ride to Rome, right? Right? But he wanted to get to Rome, and he saw this as a way to get there. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And I wonder if he had actual chains on or if it's figurative. Can you imagine? This is why I'm wearing this. And they said to him, We've received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. And so the, the news, in fact, I read that and I thought, so those Judean Christians, they hadn't even taken the time to follow through with their case. They just had him out. He's not here anymore. Who cares where he goes? Um, we're gonna, that's going to be an important aspect later that I'll bring up in just a few minutes. So they go on, they say, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. So this sect, this, this branch is how they're viewing it of uh, Judaism. So when they had pointed a day for him, so they set aside a specific time to really give their attention. They came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So he opens up the scriptures to show them these things are true and believable. I wonder what the result will be. What do you think? How has this gone in the past? Not too well all the time. Has there always been some? That's exactly what happened. Some were convinced, right? Some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Very typical, but at least they're listening. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. One statement sets them all off. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. So here he's going to, this is the one statement that set them off to send them away. And it's a quote from Isaiah. Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. He's used this before, hasn't he? I think Jesus has also used this quote before. He goes on, for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. They knew Paul was referring to them, just like Isaiah was speaking to their ancestors. Again, Paul says, you're just like your fathers before you, we're just like they were. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Praise the Lord, right? I think we're all Gentiles in here, aren't we? (laughs) Aren't you glad? Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. Not just now. Paul's not saying this is something new. It's already been sent to the Gentiles. He's just clarifying to them why he, Paul, a Jew, was preaching to the Gentiles. Because they, as Jews, weren't listening. And he would go to those that would hear. They will listen. He lived there, it says. Final two verses of Acts, by the way. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Wait a minute. Does it seem like there should be something else there? Does that feel abrupt to you? Maybe you guys should look at Acts. Do you guys have your Bibles? Anybody have Bibles at church? I hope so. Uh, maybe you should look in there. Is that how it ends? What kind of writer is Luke? Hmm. That's it, isn't it? Well, that's an odd way to end, isn't it? What, what, what happened? To, what about Paul? What about the trial? Where would he go next? What about Luke? What about Timothy? Do we hear anything more about him? Did he what? what happened? Did he appear, did he appear before Caesar? It seems like if I was writing a book, that would be a really important thing to include at the end of the story, don't you? It's not there. In fact, we're not even sure what happened. Now, there's a lot of interesting thing about Paul's history after this. Some of it I'm going to share on Wednesday night. There's about four or five church fathers, one of them dating all the way back. His name was Clement of Rome. Uh, dating back, lived very at, at the same time as Paul died in the year 101. And so he wrote, he wrote this ser- series of letters just maybe 20 years after this event. And he mentions Paul making it just like Paul had hoped. Does anybody remember where Paul was hoping to make it after Rome? Spain. Clement said he made it. That's cool. I like to think that he did. We don't know. There's about four or five church fathers that say that he made it to Spain. Don't you like to picture Paul making it all the way to Spain? There's a lot of evidence to say that it didn't end here at Rome. It went on beyond that. Maybe he came back. We We just don't know. We just don't know. But that abrupt ending seems to us... I mean, for us, when we're reading a story, I mean, don't you want to, where's the conclusion? Where's the finale? Doesn't a good book have a good finale? There's another Bible story that is very similar to this one in the way it ends. Uh, You may remember in the Old Testament, at the end of Israel's history, there's one last king. And I believe his name is pronounced Jehoiakim. It's either Jehoiakim or Jehoiachin. I'm forgetting right now because I didn't write this down. This is off the cuff. His story is so similar. It ends with him being taken into captivity in Babylon, caring for himself, eating with the king of Babylon. It just kind of ends. That historical work just kind of fades away. It's not to mean that Paul is anything like that particular king. But what it does tell me is that Luke is writing a history, just the way they did. And it's a history that did not end here. Did Israel's history end with that king in Babylon? No, it just was the beginning of something brand new. I think we're seeing something similar. I think Luke purposefully wrapped it up this way to say, the story, not over. Now, I say that out loud, and I hope that somebody else got the same thing that I did. I said that just now. I got some chills. The story, not over. Think about it are we the church, that you can say yes to that. Yeah. Are we the church? This was the beginning. This is the end of the beginning. The church has made it to the center. This is really not a story about Paul. Ben Witherington III, my favorite commentary writer that digs in deep, he says this, the open-endedness that the modern reader senses in the ending of Acts is intentional. Luke is chronicling not the life and times of Paul or any other early Christian leader, which would have ha- would have a derf- definite terminus, right? A story that was chronicling Paul would have a definite ending point. But rather, what Luke is chronicling, is telling us about, is a phenomenon, a movement that was continuing and alive well in his own day. He was chronicling what God had planned and accomplished and was continuing to accomplish in regard to the salvation of the world by means of the sharing of the gospel. Acts was about how God moved the good news. When I read that, I thought to myself, I thought, that's an interesting way. I, I don't know anything about advertising or, you know, any type of like a job in regards to those things. But do you realize that God moved the most important news in history by word of mouth? I got to think by that, that, you know, word of mouth works if the product is worth it, right? Word of mouth works. See, if I go, Man. You got to try Grossberger. I've never seen a Grossberger advertisement. I don't think he has any. If I say you got to try a Grossberger, and I tell people you try, you got to try it, you got to try it, right? And somebody tries it. It, I've had some people. They like Grossberger. Really, that sounds weird. And they then they finally finally do, right? I actually think of my brother-in-law Steve, right? From now, every time he comes to visit, you know what he says? I need some Grossberger. But but, this is exactly how the church spread word of mouth. Almost like people were saying, "You got to try Jesus. You got to try this good news. You got to try the kingdom." Taste. I think how the Old Testament writers taste and see. It's good. What happens when people do and they invest? And what are they doing? They're going to other people, telling them. So God's method of spreading the gospel, and this is what we've learned in Acts: word of mouth. Come, taste and see. But I want to go back here to those final two verses. I want to pop those back up again. I think we have here in these last two verses, we have, and I'm going to give you five points, five things that illustrate what I believe ought to be a nice summary of church. And when I say church... And I added this this morning to my notes. When I say church, I'm not talking about what I do as the pastor or what John does when he's up here or what the music team does, right? Or this, the kids' Sunday school teachers. when they're, I'm not talking about the, the representatives in that way. I'm talking about every single one of us. We're all the church. We're all part of this body of Christ. So I'm going to give you five things, and I'm going to start with Number two, okay? Number two. And I think that I have an extra slide in here by accident, so I'm going to skip this. I had that in there twice. All right, so here we go. Number two, point number two. I, started, I didn't start with point number one. I'm a math teacher, I know. Number one's there. We'll get to it, I promise. In this verse, it says this, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him Proclaiming the kingdom of God. So point number two, an aspect of you as God's church, we ought to be proclaiming the kingdom. This word proclaiming could also be translated preaching. It's it's emphasized in focusing on the will. In other words, it's asking for, when we proclaim, we're asking for a decision. Okay? A decision ought to be made with people we encounter. Whose kingdom do you want to be a part of? You want to be a part of God's kingdom or the kingdom that's not God's kingdom? Proclaiming the kingdom of God ought to be an aspect of what we do, calling for decisions to be made. Point number three. What does it say? Teaching and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching is primarily geared towards the mind. Okay? It's talking about urging growth in knowledge and understanding. I wonder, do we do this at church? Do you do this as part of church? You can emphasize teaching not just by being a teacher, correct? What is a way that you can emphasize teaching when you're not teaching? This is a question I'm going to wait for an answer for. Example? Oh, that's good. That's not even the one I had. Good. Example, right? You may not be saying something, but living it out. What's another way you can, you know, make teaching important even when you're not teaching? Oh, I think you guys said a very similar thing, but you both say coming to hear the teaching. teaching, What were you going to say? Encouraging. Good. Oh, those weren't the same thing at all. Uh, So, yeah, encouraging. Right. So even if you're not teaching, encouraging. I think a great example of that happened last week. Um, I don't remember who it was. I, I want to say maybe my mom was the one that did it. But uh, remember the, the point last week, uh, stay on the boat, right? God's going to save you, but I've got to stay on the boat. Remember that? Uh, I, I think it was my mom was telling somebody when they were walking out, uh, they were having a hard thing, and she goes, just stay on the boat, <laughs> right? <laughs> stay on the boat. It, what, what happened then? Took the teaching that we all were experiencing together and, and took a little tidbit of that and was encouraging, right, bringing that out. I think as well, what John said is so huge. I will tell you right now, as a school teacher, it is very difficult to teach when kids are doing this. You know what I'm doing? Right? Mr. Osgood knows that's a problem, isn't it? <laughs> it's a battle every day. I'll have kids, and i am explain, and I'll tell them, I'll go, you know, I'll see them on their phone. And they'll raise their hand and say, I didn't hear what you said. And I'll go, I just poured my heart out to you about this angle in geometry. You ignored me. You know how important that angle was to me? And you didn't hear a word of it. Why? They go, okay, Mr. Harlan. Or here's my other favorite thing to do. Uh, I'll wait till one of them that's constantly doing that has something to tell me and they'll go, Mr. Holmes, can I tell you something real quick? And I go, yeah, go ahead. And as soon as they start talking, if I have my phone clear, I'll go. And they go, Mr. Holmes, I'm trying to talk to you. I'm like, is this rude? And they usually go, I get it, Mr. Holmes. But you know what? There's something about, see, and I've noticed that me as a teacher, I, I, I hinge on attention. See, like right now you guys are looking at me. If, if, if I was looking out and you guys were, you know, doing that or like, here, here's, here's one of my favorites. This, I get this every once in a while. It's okay. Don't be embarrassed if it's you. I feel real motivated to teach when you're doing that. I get it. Sometimes you have, you're tired. Okay. I'm not judging. But there's something about emphasizing the listening to the teaching. You as a church can do that. How are some ways, let's, let's go a little bit further with this. How are some ways that you can help those things and change those things to emphasize teaching, pre- preaching and te- And don't let the pre- preaching and teaching be different. Th- those things, the Bible just swaps them back and forth all the time. So the preaching, the teaching, the, it's, it's, it's all together. It's hand in hand. It just emphasizes different aspects of what I'm doing. What's other things that you can do to, to emphasize the importance of these things as part of church? Now, I'm going to point you... Oh, yes, you have one? Lead by example. I, what, what's interesting about this is that this is talking about... I'm taking what, what happened last week and, and whatever. What you, t- you start taking those things together. One of the ways that that happens with this lead by example is that when you're taking these things that we learn of God... I mean, think about it. If God impacts you on Sunday. So you come to church on Sunday. It really has nothing to do with me if you get something out of it. So you get something like, man, you know, and I want to encourage you not to do it. It's like when you go, man, Matt really nailed it. You don't even say it. It's not me. You go, I man, God knew what I needed to hear. Think about that. God knew what you needed to hear when you walked in here. And so he somehow orchestrated it, So I would say the exact right thing in the exact right way so that you'd hear it and go, man. And it penetrated your heart. One of the things you can do, you take that with you, Right. Don't leave it at the door. Don't leave it on your way out. Take it with you. Purposefully find ways to change something about your life that applies that truth that you just heard. I need to put that into practice. I'll give you an example. Today, I'm talking about the emphasis of teaching. I just made the joke about the the, the, the nodding up. I understand. There there are sometimes, I mean I know that especially in our community, there are sometimes many of us, we got jobs that are working us all kinds of different hours. I get it. But what are some things that you could do to battle even that? <laughs> Drink coffee. <laughs> Kick starts back here. Oh great. Pastor Matt is promoting caffeine use. But are there It's okay. It's okay. When possible, adjust your schedule. Right. If you can't. So so if you're home on Saturday night and you're like, do I stay up and watch this movie late? Or do I what's that? Go to bed, right? Turn off the music. Turn off the go to sleep. You think to yourself on Saturday night. The preaching, the teaching, the word of God is an important aspect of church. I can I may not be the one preaching, but man, I want to be there to hear what's being said. I don't want to doze off right in the middle of the thing that God has prepared for me to hear. I don't want to miss it. There's things you can do practically that you can take with you You and say, I can emphasize teaching and preaching at the church. I think another thing, just being here, right? Being here, hearing it, taking notes. Some of you are good at that. Some of you struggle with that. Sometimes, I know some people, they they try to take notes, and then they they miss something that I said, and then they're like, oh, man, missed it. It, It's okay. You don't have to be a perfect note taker. I have all these on. We put all these online. Thanks to Katie, right? We stick all these online. So if you're like, oh, man, I missed it, feel free. You can go back. And then you can pause me, rewind me. (laughs) If you do doze off, you can go, I missed that. I can go back, (laughs) catch it, right? Okay, teaching. Next one. Boldness, with all boldness. Do you see that in the passage? The teaching, the preaching together. So once again, kind of tie those together. The teaching, the preaching. This is about church, about us teaching and preaching with all boldness. Boldness is an interesting word in, this, in the Greek language because it's not talking about just uh, in your face. It's actually talking about if someone is a good philosopher, they're, they're going to be bold means they're, they're, they know what they need to say. And they say those things. Someone who's bold is not about rude. Someone who's bold is willing to say, this is what needs to be said. In fact, I would say that some of the best bold people are sometimes the last to speak. Have you ever been in a group and people are throwing out opinions and there's usually at least one person that speaks up every time there's a chance, you know, and they say something and you're like, oh, great, they're talking again. Right? And, you know, but you, I love it when you, after it, close to the, does anybody else have anything to say? And then there's that one person that's been quiet and they, they go, because they've been thinking, they've been listening. Stuff has been said that's good, so this has been said that's bad. And finally they go, what do they do? They go, right? And they go, Boom. And sometimes I love it when that happens and you sit there and you go, that's perfect. That's that's boldness. it's, It's sometimes the last to speak, but when they speak, and you can do that as well. It's not about being a great speaker. It's about someone who stops and thinks what needs to be said here, what really needs to be said here, what absolutely needs to be said here there's a lot of stuff that we think needs to be said that doesn't. Boldness. Without hindrance. This particular phrase is the exact same phrase that in Roman law is used to describe the Jewish liberties to continue worshiping Jehovah. They are allowed to worship without hindrance. That's the phrase that's used in Roman law. What I find amazing about this is that this is said about the church when Paul, its appointed speaker, is in chains. And yet it's still described that he continued to preach with all boldness and without hindrance. Any hindrances I don't believe are true hindrances. In fact, listen to what Paul says himself. And Second Timothy he says bound, he describes himself. He says, "Bound with chains, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. Any hindrances, when it comes to the gospel, are not true hindrances. I believe they are usually, if not always, opportunities. Do you believe this? Can you believe this?" You ever thought you had a hindrance to sharing the gospel? The church is described as a a church that can do this without hindrance. Maybe instead it's truly an opportunity. Maybe it's a difficult person at work. I feel like they're hindering your ability to to be the Christ-like example you ought to be. Hmm. Or maybe it's an opportunity. Maybe you're stuck at home. How can I get out? Ask yourself sometimes, who does God, who does God bring your way? Emphasis on the desert. Who does God bring your way? I've known many people who were stuck in a hospital bed, had a great, great testimony. Why? Because they were just sitting there waiting. They they believed they were in that hospital bed not to get healed from whatever it was they were there for. They knew the doctors were on that, whatever. I'm there, tell somebody about the God. I don't know who. Maybe it's this nurse, and then they try. Maybe it's you, nursey, right? Maybe not. That's my father-in-law. That's probably how I... I, Maybe it's you. Maybe not. Maybe it's this doctor. Maybe it's this... Right? You you ever know anybody that's like that and you just think... It's like every situation that happens to them. That's what that's about. Without hindrance. They, They don't look at anything. And we ought not to look at anything as a hindrance to sharing the gospel. Maybe it's a change of life situation. It's got you down. Maybe you ought to leave today and start thinking, maybe this is actually not a hindrance to my ability to be an example or to present or to to live out the gospel. Maybe this is an opportunity to do it in a way that is more clear, more bold, more to the point. Maybe it's loss of a job. Maybe it's a new job. Maybe it's new people. Maybe it's loss of people. Whatever it may be. A church that preaches and teaches the gospel with boldness and without hindrance doesn't know hindrance. All it knows is a God that's in control, that's orchestrating everything, and this must be part of his plan. But now I know, I skipped number one, so maybe I ought to go back. Number one. This, this was... And for me, when I'm, I'm studying through the week, sometimes I start off my week not knowing where I'm going to go. And usually at some point, it's like God goes, this is the thing. In my head, that's what I call it. It's not a proper technical term, but I go, this is the thing. And this week, it was this little statement here. Welcomed all. I found something interesting in this word welcome or welcoming. This word is comprised of two, of a, a Greek word that means Accept. And a prefix, right, at the beginning of it that has to do with space. Now, if I'm correct in understanding this word from what I tried to figure out, it's, it's a pulling in when normally there's space between. Welcoming, right? All. In fact, Ben Witherington, about that word all, he says this. He says the word all is a very important one for Luke. It is no accident he ends acts by using it. All. All welcomed. All. I wonder, can we be this way as a church? I think, I think we do a pretty good job at this at Edgewood. I think that when people come in, I've, I've heard this from others and I hope it's always true. I hope it's always true. And I know many of you hope it's always true. That Everybody that steps in this door, we don't care. You're welcome. And whatever gap might be between us somewhere else out in the world, that doesn't exist here. Whatever distance might culturally, socially separate us, we, you might think, you walk in these doors or you meet us Because we're the church, not the building. Meet us on the street, it doesn't exist. The space, it's been pulled in. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated, white collar, blue collar, unemployed, good, bad. We're all bad. Clean, messy. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, Whatever you've let define you is not a factor any longer. In the gospel message, all, welcome. I end on this point, even though I think it's the first, because I think that this, I don't say think. I believe I believe that this is so, so essential. Do we live in a community that tends to be divided? How about race issues? Do we live in a community that has those things? That ought never to be true of us as God's representatives on this earth. We see no boundaries, we see no space. All welcome. All are welcome. I hope that you take this final point with you as you go into your week. That when you walk out into your society, whatever area you're in, whatever job or at home or in your neighborhood or where you're at the store, that you can walk around with eyes open thinking to yourself, I'm a representative of Christ's church. And me needing milk and eggs and bread might not be a hindrance to sharing the gospel right now. It might be an opportunity. Walking through the store, who might I bump into? Uh, since my wife's not in the room, I'll say that she's one of the best people I know at this particular aspect. She knows no strangers. She's seeing somebody buy the same kind of egg she does. She'll say something to him about the egg. And I, I have left her alone in the store before and come back, and she has a brand new best friend. I don't know. How she does it. I've tried to pull that in. Because I think that now she always had she she had an edge because she's like that a little bit naturally. But now I know, I'm bragging on my wife for a minute. I now I know that her heart that comes from a root in the gospel message. What I'm talking about, she sees. Every person she sees when she's sharing the testimony about these kids coming into her office. She is she is truly. Latched onto this idea that that's not about a job or a paycheck; those are consequential. It's all about for her opportunity. Somebody might walk into her office that needs Jesus. Got a big sign on her wall: "Y'all need Jesus," is what it says, and she'll tell him uninhibited, bold, and without hindrance, sharing the gospel. I want to encourage you to, in whatever situation you're in to think that way. To solidify it today, I'm going to, we're going to take communion together. And I, I like having communion. There's all different times during this service I like having communion. But sometimes, especially a day like today, I love having it at the end. Because it gives us an opportunity. Because every single one of us, we're going to pass this around. It don't come up just yet, guys. Uh, we're going to pass this around. And we're, we're all welcome to partake. If you've come here today and you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and that's everything you're banking on, And I want to encourage you to take some time today as this is passed out. Hold on to it and examine your hearts like Paul talks about. But then take. There's a reason why it's called communion. Because we're communing together and the Spirit is communing with us. But I want you to emphasize today as you're getting ready to partake and then as you're partaking, ask yourself this question. Have I been the kind of per- person who's welcoming to all? And if it's not true, I believe a couple things will happen. One, God will let you know right away. You'll know even before you get those, those thoughts out of your mouth. Have I been the type of person you'll hear God in here going, no, you have not. You've been a jerk to some people. You need to repent. I want you to do it right then and there. As soon as you hear it, as soon as God tells you, repent. Okay, Lord, I repent. I turn. I'm going to change my mind about this. God, help me to change. Repent of my sin. And that's what it is. Repent. And say, Lord, I'm going to partake in this today. And Lord, as I'm partaking of this and I'm taking in of who you are, i recognize the fact that the only reason why you're able to partake is because Jesus was welcoming to all, even a sinner like you. So then partake with joy and say, God, you've welcomed me in. And so when you leave these doors, leave out these doors this week and you head out into your world, I want to encourage you to let that those two words, I want to be welcoming to all, welcoming to all. I just want to be Maybe my personality, I want to be more welcoming in my personality. You think God can help change your personality? Absolutely. My attitude, I want to be more welcoming in my attitude. Pray, God will do that to you. More welcoming with your words. More welcoming with your eyes as you look at opportunities and you see people. People. God will give you welcoming glasses to put on through the week and you'll see people and you'll see them differently. Pray those things as you're partaking today.